Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. And to begin today, I would like to thank David P., who recently made a direct donation to the salon that I'll be using to help offset some of the expenses associated with these podcasts. So, David, on behalf of all of us here in the salon, I thank you for your help. Also, I'd like to thank all of my patrons over on Patreon.com. There are now 39 active patrons there. As you know, these fine fellow saloners are supporting my work in writing a new form of autobiography. And thanks to them, I'll be publishing it, uh, well, directly into the public domain. Uh, That means that sometime around the end of this year, I'll be posting the finished book in several places online where you can download it in PDF and Kindle formats for free. And, uh, in fact, if you want to print and sell copies yourself, that's going to be fine, too. And no royalty is going to be required, because my wonderful patrons, all of whom will be acknowledged in the book, well, these are the people who are essentially paying me up front to write it. And I'll tell you more about this once the project is finished, sometime near the end of this year. Now, uh, today, thanks to the hard work of Frank Nuncio and the volunteers at Camp Soft Landing, we're going to be able to listen to a panel discussion that was held on the last day of August this year at the Burning Man Festival. Their discussion was titled, Women in Cannabis, and according to the postcard that listed this year's Palenque Norte lectures, it was to be led by Emma Dilemma and Annie Oak. Actually, uh, we're going to hear from several more women than just those two. However, since they didn't all introduce themselves by name, I'm not able to give you a complete list of all the participants. But my guess is that after listening to this panel discussion, you're going to want to get to know these amazing women a little better. And uh, since this, at least to me, is a really uplifting story of ways in which the cannabis industry is now being led, in many ways, by women entrepreneurs, I think that we should also have a little reality check before we begin. Just to remind us that the war on drugs is still far, far from over. You see, while the legal marijuana industry is growing by leaps and bounds, there are still a lot of people who not only don't have access to legal marijuana, there are still quite a few people being held in cages for very minor drug offenses in some places. Here's a name to remember, Fate Vincent Winslow. At this very moment, Mr. Winslow is serving life without the possibility of parole in prison in the state of Louisiana for selling $20 worth of marijuana to an undercover cop. Winslow is a black man and he is in prison for life. The dealer that he got his pot from was white and wasn't charged. Winslow was found guilty of selling pot by a jury of 12 people. The 10 white people on the jury found him guilty and the two black jurors voted not guilty. But the ten white people predominated, and today fate Vincent Winslow lives in a cage. His crime, a $20 marijuana bust. In case you missed it earlier, this is what I mean when I say that the United States of America is a failed nation. In a successful state, things like this just don't happen. I could pass along more stories like Winslow's, but... I suspect that you already know many of them. My only purpose in beginning today's podcast with that downer of a story is so that our excitement about the great things that are now taking place in the legal cultivation and sales of this important plant, well, that we don't forget our compatriots who happen to be living in some of the more backward parts of this country and have no legal access to this medicine. But now let's hear some good news good news about the leadership roles that women have in the wonderful world of cannabis cultivation and sales. Um, Annie and the Women's Visionary Congress did this, um, the Women in Cannabis Salon in Oakland this year. That was a really amazing opportunity for us to kind of raise women's voices in the cannabis industry from like young trimmers to women who've been 
working in the industry and have shifted it, the culture and industry through the decades. And um, I think it felt really important that we be able to like share and talk about that here and um, kind of continue to document and raise women's voices in the cannabis industry. Um, would you guys like to introduce yourselves? I mean, Annie, would you like to start? Sure. I'm Annie Oak, and um, I'm delighted to be here with these ladies. I um, uh, am one of the co-founders of the Women's Visionary Congress, which uh, sponsored this uh, conversation about cannabis, which took place earlier this year in Oakland. Um, I'm a cannabis consumer uh, for over 40 years, um, and I just recently bought a pot farm, which I'm in the process of rewilding, and I want to talk about that a little bit. I'm Jasmine Victoria Hupp. I'm one of the founders of Women Grow, which is the largest professional networking organization in the cannabis industry. You can come uh, meet other women in your area in about two dozen cities uh, on the first Thursday of every month. I feel like I have a long answer for this, and I'm going to try to keep it really short. So I often get asked how I got involved in the cannabis industry and it honestly was such fate like the cannabis industry chose me and I'm just continuously evolving from you know starting the first cannabis investment firm to really focusing on personal growth for professional development and I most recently hosted a cannabis retreat for industry professionals and had 32 gondrepreneurs out in the wilderness with me connecting and um making space to really step into the opportunity to make a new industry. Yeah. Um, I help people keep their businesses up and running with training and professional development. My name is Maureen McNamara, and I'm the founder and chief facilitator with Cannabis Trainers. Over like 25 years of professional training and certification courses, and we launched in the cannabis industry in 2013. My name is Chelsea. I'm also delighted to be here. Thanks for hosting. Um, I am the business development sorceress at Key Coco, which is a cannabis infused herbal tea company based in the Bay Area. Um, I've been in the industry for about four years and now do things. Um, around sales, events, um, marketing, government relations, and uh, science with the testing. Um, and I also um, host women's educational events uh, in the industry as well. I'm Laura Notini. Um, I'm really excited to be here. My first burn, I got really heat sick, and seeing my friends speak here is one of the only things I got out to do. So it's really cool to be up here today. Um, I have been an activist for marijuana legalization for seven years and two years ago moved to Portland, Oregon to pursue uh, jobs in the industry that I tried to help create in other states I've been in. I used to organize the biggest weed rally and parade in New York City. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, now I've been trimming and living in a state where it's legal and it's fascinating to have gone from the, west, uh, the East Coast to the West Coast. So I think I'd like to start with a question, and I think it's for all of you guys, but that more Marina proposed, which is, why is it important for women to be in leadership roles in the cannabis industry? Does anybody want to start there? Why do we think it's important to have women? Yeah. I think it's tremendously valuable to have women in leadership roles in the cannabis industry because there is not that this plant is new, the plant is ancient, but our capacity to um, have this fully in the light is an opportunity to influence with a lot of feminine energy. Um, and it's a unique opportunity when there's, and again, kind of a, a new industry to play in and to bring your talents and wisdom into it can um, influence the way 
legalization continues to occur and how ending prohibition happens. I think it's especially important to have women leaders because cannabis that we know and love is a female plant. And that is so integral to everything. And it cannot be a completely male situation because it is the female that is giving us all of this wonderful experience. And I think that's really important to remember. Um, I think it's also important that women are very involved and that we speak up when we see things that are not great. I know there was a situation uh, that a company had sponsored some sort of after party and there was instead of a naked sushi girl, a naked deli meat girl, which was in really poor taste. And I think, you know, just things like that. I think we need women who can be creative and speak to everyone about why cannabis is great, uh, not just advertise like sex sells because with recreational cannabis, that is an option, but I would like to think we can be more creative. Um, I think it's really important for women to be in the industry, um, to Maureen's point, that it's a brand new industry and we have the opportunity to come in and uh, build an industry that involves us, um, where we have roles and there, you know, um, there's less of a, a grass, a glass ceiling in this industry than others. There's more opportunity to go in there and, um, and be the innovators and the pioneers in building um, what's been around for a long time, but now that it's it's becoming legal, there's there's much more opportunities for people. Um, and I also think there's a real need to do business differently than what we've been doing for a long time. And women can bring in new management styles and um, different types of hierarchies and businesses um, that are. Uh, not a hierarchy that are different structures um, that can prove that can create a successful business model and um, I think women are also more focused on giving back to their communities um, and building conscious companies and um, uh, I think conscious corporations is a new kind of movement and you see a lot of women leading that charge which is cool I was going to add, um, I think and I saw this in like either one of your presentations or Jane West's presentations, that like I think some like statistics, 75% of household, household goods are actually pr- purchased by women. So having female leaders kind of shaping the way the marketing goes, you can relate better to the consumer who's buying. So taking it from that perspective, having le- uh, women lead this space will help them, co- these companies better relate to their people that are going to be most frequently buying the products. I think the more women who own and run pot farms, the better women are treated on those farms. A lot of women work in the trim, and a lot of those women work alongside mostly male owners, and sometimes they're treated well, and sometimes they're not. So we need to stand up for those women as well as well as those men, those agricultural workers. I'll do the statistics last then. Uh, So uh, marijuana is going to be primarily purchased by women in the future. Because if you break down where marijuana goes as an industry, you have... Uh, you have the medicinal side, you have the holistic or kind of alternative medicine side, and then you have the recreational or fun Friday night side, right? So on the medical side, women are making about 85% of the healthcare decisions for their families. So whether or not marijuana is used as a medicine in your home is most likely going to be up to the mother of the household or the, the woman of that household. Then when you move into the, the holistic side, um, we see that women are the top purchasers of all those alternative trends yoga, acupuncture, uh, body work, etc. So if you, you think of cannabis and body work or cannabis as an as a alternative health method, uh, again, women are going to be in charge of that purchasing decision primarily. That really only leaves the recreational side um, where we see that women are buying the majority of uh, wine uh, in terms of take-home um, and they're desperate for an alternative to alcohol on a Friday night. Um, and so that's where we see women totally dominating the purchasing side, which is why you want women running your company. Um, something I guess talked to you guys about before, but what um, 
what advice would you give to other women who are trying to break into this industry, either as entrepreneurs or kind of seeing this new this new industry really booming in these states where it's becoming uh, recreationally legal? What kind of advice would you give to these women? Come, we need you, join, do it. Whatever talent you have from a previous gig, this industry is thirsty for what you have. Um, the best advice I ever got when I was first starting to work for myself, I was super enthralled with a woman, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do what you're doing, and how do I start doing that? And she said, just start doing your work. And I, I don't think she'd pick me out of a lineup of one, but I remember exactly who she is, where she was when she said that. Just start doing your work. And that's what I would say, and that's what I did to create my business in the cannabis industry. So just choose it, jump in, just start doing your work, and um, come to networking events so that you can get a feel for what other people are doing in the industry. And it's a in my experience, a very welcoming environment. Come on in. Um, I, I would recommend that knowing opportunities are abundant and that you don't have to settle for the first thing that comes at your door. And I think it's really exciting because you'll go to a networking event or some big conference and you meet all of these people and all of these things feel right and you have all of these opportunities showing up and you want to... Um, you just want to go for it, but like there's space to breathe and really like feel into the people because you really want to be working with people that feel good for you and who you are with in the setting says a lot about who you are as a person and the industry is growing, but it's still very small. So really finding what feels true for you in your heart when you're connecting with these opportunities and operating from a place that feels like a full body. Yes. Um, my advice would be to be educated, to get educated about the plant and everything that goes into it. Like I know bud t I've encountered many bud tenders that don't really know what they're talking about, and it's really disappointing, and I think it's not a good look for our industry um, that if you can talk intelligently about the plant and sort of know what's going on, I also think it's valuable to research every facet of the industry because there are a lot of people that smoke weed but they don't know about dumping buckets, you know, like it's, it's a lot of really hard work that goes into making this plant available and accessible. So if you are interested, there are a whole bunch of different areas to get involved and, you know, knowing about each of them can help you find the right one. I think research is really important and having um, your own knowledge about the plant and the different parts of the industry can sort of help you decide where to get involved. Um, when I tell people I work in the cannabis industry, a lot of folks still assume that that's either growing or working as a bud tender. Um, a lot of folks don't realize that there are um, there are PR folks, there are business development folks, there's sales, there's marketing. Um, there's education, there's trainers, there's folks who are leading retreats. I mean, it's it's a massive opportunity, and there is so much opportunity right now. So um, I think knowing what you want and what your own values are and finding a company that aligns with those ethics and values. Um, for example, I worked, I first started in this industry with a vape pen company in Denver, and uh, it was really valuable because I started at the bottom and learned extraction and learned the science of the plant and, and how it works to make infused products. But after a while, I, I had a really hard time knowing that all these cartridges and small battery pieces were just kind of littering the planet. Um, they were all disposable. Um, and that, that eventually led me to leave the company and find something that um, was way more eco. And that was a value I realized over time. Um, so I think that's an important part going into it. Um, and then also being an agent of, um, of the movement and of the plant. I think women are key to ending the stigma in cannabis. And when there's a well-spoken woman next to you who says she works in cannabis, um, you know, if you're a conservative-minded individual, that might sort of shock you a little bit or open your mind. Um, 
especially if you're sitting on a plane and talking to a stranger and just very proudly say I work in the cannabis industry and being able to be an agent for the plant and um, what what you're doing is really important. What are some things you guys would like to see in the future of the cannabis industry? Does anybody want to see? I'd like to see more awareness about... um, environmentally sensitive growing practices. Somebody who just bought a farm that's been used to grow cannabis for 25, 30 years. Um, Some of those practices are really hard on the land. Some growers uh, do a good job being environmentally sensitive. The growers who own the farm that I bought fortunately did not use pesticides or fungicides, but that has been relatively common. I had to test all the soil and water before I bought this farm. And I spent about eight years as a business reporter covering the industry and got a chance to see how some of the farming operations on public lands were done, and in some cases inorganic fertilizer is used and water is diverted and some of those practices can be really environmentally harmful. I think there's a real movement to a greater environmental awareness, uh, testing for pesticides and fungicides, the support for organic farmers, and to be more environmentally sensitive and careful with the land. I want to see everything, like just everything happen. I want to see us uh, using hemp oil as a replacement for petroleum and for all of our oil-based products. Like we never talk about the hemp industry in panels like this, and I'm so excited about industrial hemp, and I have nothing to offer you on that whatsoever. Um, But if you are excited about industrial hemp, please go make that a reality. Um, and then on the on the cannabis side, I want to I want to see every variation. I want to see v- extremely medical products. I want to see holistic health products. I want to see cannabis massage available at the airport. Um, I want to have my edible served to me on a plane. Although the air pressure kind of makes you might faint. Um, not that any of us ever did that. Um, and. <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, and I want to see it as a, as a fully embodied, um, you know, great uh, recreational option um, and a replacement of, of uh, alcohol and cocaine being kind of our party drugs. I'd like to see more conversation around the stigma, like on a deep rooted level. I personally um, was in the industry for three years and I moved home because I was dealing with in my own illness and I was wondering why the cannabis wasn't working for me, right? It, it was known to treat all of these symptoms. And because I was back in my parents' house where I lived and grew up and got punished for smoking cannabis, I was able to access this stress recording in my body that was blocking my ability to integrate the medicine. And it's because my my mind knew that it was right, but my body was so used to going um, going home after consuming and dealing with my dad, like staring me in the eyes and like w- like trying to confront me with my my usage. And he would search the car when when we got back from like you know school and find like a seed and be like, I found this in the car. And I'm like, oh God, Jesus Christ, Dad. Um, so there's like a lot of. Um, conditioning around how bad it was and you think about the dare campaigns and all of this feeling and and knowing that like on a collective level there's so many people that have died because of this families have been broken up the mexican drug cartel so it's it's pretty violent and when i was home and dealing with my illness i was smoking and i was hiding it from my parents still even though i knew it was a medicine even though i worked in the industry for three years even though my parents fucking invested in cannabis company now cannabis companies then And so I was like, oh, my God, I still feel like I'm doing something wrong. And so finally realizing that allowed me to drop into the medicine from a place that it became a teacher plant, right? Because we think about ayahuasca and ibogaine and all of these plant medicines that really help us get um, a reality check on what's clear for us and our truth. And I started working with um, cannabis in that way, in that form. And, it, and the only reason why I got there is because I recognized how deeply ingrained I thought that this was wrong. I mean, there's people that have cancer and they are 
given prescriptions for cannabis and they won't take it because they feel like they just don't think they that that's right. It's bad. It's illegal. It's a Schedule One drug, right? So it's like there's so much work to do around healing the consciousness around cannabis, and so I'm really looking forward to bringing that awareness further into the industry and seeing more of it. I look forward to medical professionals being trained in the endocannabinoid system that that when my mother who's healing lung cancer asks her doctor about cannabis because I begged her to and he's like, yeah, I don't think that's going to be a contribution to you in any way that she would get a different answer. Um, along with that, I'd love to see more and more research so that as the paradigm shifts and as the my mothers of the world would consider plant medicine that, you know, she'd have something, more, and there is, there is research, but more tangible to be like, mm, I'm telling you, it could help. Um, so that's what I'd like to see. Um, research was also my my um, hope for the industry in the future, and it's it's happening. Um, but I think we're going to discover a lot of really amazing things about what the plant can do that we might know empirically, but don't have really hard evidence with specific ailments or certain issues. Um, but you know, like our our goal as a company, Aki Coco, is to get women and the people off of pharmaceuticals and provide an alternative for alcohol that's really what we're trying to do and i think only when there is a full integration like what jasmine was talking about um and in this research um can we truly do that because there's there's a little bit of research out there and as a product creator we can create products on that research but it's not it's it's shaky there's a lot of sort of empirical evidence there's research from the university of mississippi um government research that uses really um poorly grown cannabis um that doesn't yield very many um uh beneficial effects or doesn't doesn't have the real um uh, the same type of terpene and cannabinoid production as other cannabis plants grown in places like California or, or Colorado or Oregon. Um, so I think when this research comes out, um, that's just going to really change the game for um, both people who are creating products and who are educating and, and using. It's going to be a, a nice big shift. I, too, look forward to cannabis everywhere. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> I think that it's really important to have full access to it. Uh, I use it for migraines even sometimes. I think it's safer than a lot of over-the-counter meds that people take. And so people think of medical marijuana as needing a specific condition, but there are a lot of ways to use marijuana medicinally that have nothing to do with like a chronic condition. It could be you have a sunburn and you want to put some salve on it or like you bumped your knee and that's going to help there too. Um, in fact, I think topicals are fantastic because they're a really nice way to ease people into the idea of using cannabis uh, differently. They're not psychoactive and they can really just help the body feel better. Uh, I also look forward to home grow being a thing that is everywhere and people being able to really have a relationship with the plant in the way that they want. A lot of people won't want to take the time to grow their own plants. They'll want to go to a store and get something that's been made for what they're looking for, and that's great. But I think if you want the opportunity to grow your own plant, then that's something you should be able to do. And uh, I love writing recipes and teaching people how to infuse their own cooking oils because I think that can be very empowering to be able to create your own medicine. Um, so I just look forward to seeing every single part of the situation from home grow to like widespread cannabis products that anybody can use. Just a comment on that. Um, it's such an interesting thing to... I have two grandmothers, one of which was from Japan and uh, has bad arthritis, who I've been trying to get to use medical marijuana for, and medicinal oil and stuff like that forever, forever and ever. Just, like, check it out, check it out. And she's like, okay. And then she'll, like, never use it because she's like, I don't know. And then on the opposite side, my father's mother would who came here as a Mexican immigrant 
um, to work in on farms, they would take cannabis and they would make salves for like working farmers when they were sore would be using that. And that was just a traditional thing that was done in with poor Mexican farmers that they would just get the marijuana and they would grind it down with some fat and they would use it on sore joints and sore parts of their body. So it's an interesting parallel to see like the culture of like the integrated culture of like, no, this is terrible. And also like, no, this is medicine. And yeah, I absolutely want to see it to feel more comfortable for all people of all ages to feel like that's a something integrated in and something that they feel safe doing. Um, do you have anything? Else? Do you have something that you want to see in the future of the industry? Um, I'm uh, as a business reporter really interested in the financial impact of the cannabis industry. Um, I'm living now in the Sierra foothills. Um, and um, I think that, it, at least in California, Humboldt was maybe phase one of the cannabis industry and fusing an entire economy. Mendocino was maybe phase two, and now the Sierra Foothills, Nevada City, is phase three. And I'm very interested in gray market economies and how um, the cannabis business has really changed entire economies and entire communities and, and how that money has been used. Um, and I'm really uh, enjoying watching the explosion of artists and small businesses in a place like Nevada City right now and what people are doing with that money, which I think is, is slightly different than uh, how that money was used in Humboldt and Mendocino. And um, I think it's a very interesting phenomenon. I think it's, it's financed a, a lot of art and a lot of culture and a lot of small businesses and the fact that a lot of people can't put that money in the banks due to banking laws and money laundering laws has had a, a kind of funny upside because that money has gone directly into the community in some cases. And it's been very interesting to see what people have done with it and how that's really benefited entire communities and revitalized entire com economies. All right. This is something I really wanted to ask all of you. What's your favorite strain of cannabis? <laughs> we joke about using this as like if we ever don't have a door list for a party, but we want to make sure that everyone coming in is like cool with marijuana. We're just going to ask that at the door. Like, what's your favorite strain? If they can give like a good answer right away, then we know, you know, they actually consume cannabis in some way. And if they're like, I don't know, do you have free drinks? We're like, fuck off. Um, so <laughs> I'm really into Jack Herrera right now. Yeah. I think that's my answer. Uh, my girlfriends and I have really been enjoying pink panties recently. I honestly have no idea because I have so many goddamn samples and I just smoke whatever I find around the house and I don't even read the name and I'm like, oh, like whatever. Like I, I, like I really honestly have no idea. <laughs> I will second that. That's exactly the same place I am. And flour is not my primary consumption. I enjoy like half a cookie is my play place so um in infused products about a five milligram um sweetgrass kitchen chocolate chip cookie and they grow their own planties there and it's it's uh it's it likes to get the dance party started so it's more of a sativa <laughs> yes lots of cannabis <laughs> always available um but I do love the Jack strains as well. It's high in a, a terpene called pinene, which is kind of a smell you get when you're walking through the forest and it's just rained. And it's really good for um, memory and creativity. Um, so I really enjoy that. But I've also really started enjoying a one-to-one -one, um, CBD THC flower, uh, which is becoming more and more um, common to find in dispensaries. Yay. Um, and it's just less cerebral and less edgy and a little more body, but not in the same way that an indica is a body. It's, it's just, it's kind of relaxing and tingly up here too. So. I am totally a sucker for the hazes. Um, if it's a haze, I'm probably going to like it. 
Um, I studied in the Netherlands in college, and it was the first time that I really could trust a strain name because, like, I had, you know, dealers back east, I literally heard them making up the names. They're like, oh, this smells like pineapple. Let's call it Pineapple Express, you know, like, can't trust anything. But there was this one strain at this one coffee shop called LSD, which made for some funny conversations when we were all like, let's go to Amsterdam and get that LSD in our our can you know, classmates were like, what? And we were like, no, it's just weed. <laughs> um, and then uh, I would say one of my favorite things that I love to tell people about now is uh, hash oil distillate is really amazing to cook with because I'm primarily a dabber. So that's how I discovered it in the first place. It can be dabbed. But the process of distilling the cannabinoids uh, removes all of the terpenes, so it has none of the cannabis taste that some people don't like that keeps them from being able to eat edibles. And it's already decarboxylated, so you don't have to worry about toasting it in the oven to activate it. You can even just eat it right out of the jar. (laughs) Um, And so I really love using that in edibles particularly, and I think it does a really nice job. Yeah, I I think that there's a really large market um, uh, in cannabis um, consumers who are older people. And I'm wondering uh, how uh, product producers and marketers uh, can effectively reach out to uh, particularly older people who might be new to the cannabis experience. I would say start by hiring older people into your team and into your community. Uh, And... We're going to have better answers over here. It was a couple of years ago that the um, Drug Policy Alliance put a call out for models, um, non-model models, to have shots of a variety of diverse ages and just a diversity in these stock photos of people consuming cannabis. Because when news stories were coming out, they would choose stock photos that were not relatable to the majority of people, and I think something like that is a great way to begin to change the perception, and I love what Chelsea said earlier, is for everybody that's in the cannabis industry to proudly come out of the cannabis closet and, and say what we're up to in the world. Um... I think if your story um, as a cannabis company um, has, you know, if the founders are older people or if it involves, you know, older people to really tell that story and make that a big part of your company's um, identity. And I think events, educational events is a really strong way to reach these folks. and I think making it, uh, reaching out to maybe um, assisted living homes or directors of these facilities um, that work with older people, um, a lot more of them are becoming very receptive to learning about cannabis. And I think that's where, you know, I've um, got my c- grandma to use cannabis for her arthritis about two years ago because she called me and she was finally like, I'm in so much pain, I'll try anything. Um, but it took her a while to get there. And, and it's all about the education um, for these folks. So providing a space and, and putting together a, you know, a couple-hour tasting event, an educational event with non-medicated and medicated options is a really good way to bring people in. Um, yeah. I think putting things in relatable forms can also be really helpful, like uh, full extract cannabis oil or FECO or uh, it's or RSO, depending on what you call it. Um, people use that for cancer treatment. And you can eat it right out of the syringe, but a lot of people put it in capsules, and that makes it pretty approachable to just take a capsule, and that's like taking a pill, you know, or putting it into an edible or using a topical. I think topicals are a great gateway because <laughs> uh, they don't break the blood barrier, and they're just really helpful, and you can tell immediately that they are helping and... So I think, you know, focusing on things like that, it's not like you're sitting around smoking a big bong, although that can be very fun. Um, There are lots of different ways uh, that can make cannabis more approachable. So definitely getting the word out about that.
great. I think we're like pretty close to time. Do you guys have questions for them? Yeah? Come on up here. Uh, hey, so what about moms? Uh, in the California push for legalization recently, everybody was like, oh, but moms, moms are going to be like, oh, but think of the children and they're going to be this big pushback against legalization. Do y'all see like there, y'all see like ways to get through to moms? Do y'all see like this is a non-issue? Are moms just like not going to give a shit? Are like moms going to be like, you know, is it about older moms, like older people being like more, more conservative and then like as 20, as today's 15 year olds become moms, they're just not going to give a shit and be like, whatever, my kid's a pain in the ass, I'm going to stop crying, I'll smoke a J, right? Like, how do you see this dynamic playing out? Are they like allies or a tricky demographic and like legalization or what have you? I think the most surprising thing was that the, the, the starting seed of legalization, successful legalization, was actually by moms with these epileptic kids, right? Like the, the, the big turnaround in, in public uh, opinion on marijuana happens around Sanjay Gupta coming out and being like, hey, I was wrong. I'm America's doctor and uh, these kids really need this medicine and it works. Um, so moms are an incredible strong ally for legalization um, if they uh, have had, had any experience with the product. But then, of course, we also have tons of moms and tons of dads who um, are scared of cannabis or are really um, don't necessarily know a lot about cannabis itself but are afraid of the consequences of prohibition. Yeah, I was actually going to say something similar. I was at the signing of the bill in Pennsylvania, which was, I think, what, 2016. And um, everybody that was in the room, like the majority of the people were all moms with their children. They had very sick children. And um, a lot of them were, were wheelchair bound. And it was just so empowering to be with all of these mothers that actually really, you know, forced that bill to be passed. And um, actually, I'm friends with Dalen Leach, the state senator who authored the bill. And he said these people would sleep on his floor just to, like, keep the, the needle moving forward with this one. They wouldn't give up. And then you said something about, um, I don't know, you said something about, um, you know, how do we, like, change the way people are relating to cannabis? And is it so many, I'm probably not repeating this right, but there's something that inspired what I'm about to say now. <laughs> and um, Dalen Leach, he once quoted in an interview I did with him, he's like, Jessica, for every, every one person that's born, 10 people that are for prohibition die, right? So it's like, eventually, it's just going to go away, you know? And you know, we'll do a lot of work to get there before that all cancels itself out like that. But I just think that's an interesting thing, right? Yeah. Um, education and research, there's undoing old programming. And once that happens, it's going to be easier and easier. Yeah, I think moms is a big a big group of people. Um, you're going to have moms. Um, there's moms in California who will picket a new dispensary going up in their neighborhood because it's not in my neighborhood. Um, but you also have moms that are finding a lot of relief from cannabis. Um, some of my business partners are mothers. And it's really amazing to see the, their approach in educating their children about cannabis and what they do. Um, there's other parents who are more afraid to tell their, their kids what they do. Um, but I think moms in particular, especially working mothers, they've got a lot of shit on their plate. <laughs> they're trying to, you know, they're they're trying to be mothers, good partners, um, you know, productive people. They're running around like crazy. They've got a lot going on and they arguably need cannabis more than anybody. Um, so I think more and more of them are catching on to that and there's more in, uh, alternatives to smoking now available such as tea and cookies and um, topicals and, and products that seem a lot more friendly than having to smoke something and create smell in the home or you know it's much easier to you know keep it a, a subtle a subtle part of your lifestyle um, so I see a lot of the um, delivery services and dispensaries and other product manufacturers in California um, have mentioned they are seeing a big uptake in the soccer mom type um, and, there, and there's more um, options curated toward that crowd. So it's, it's changing quickly, and it's very interesting and awesome. 
I feel like people talk about the children a lot, but if you really think about it, like legalizing is so much better for the children because drug dealers don't ID. So that immediately cuts off the easy access uh, in states that have legalized. There has not been an increase in use uh, for people that are underage. Um, if you're a parent that has a child and, you know, realistically that child may experiment with cannabis, they might be facing all sorts of sanctions. Like uh, students have had their federal student funding taken away because they were caught with a little bit of shake. Um, and parents now can, you know, drink as much beer as they want, but in some cases get CPS called if they're using cannabis. So even beyond, like, being able to treat sick children with this medicine that's really important there are so many reasons that it's so much safer for every child for it to be legal (laughs) so hopefully um you know i know some people that are very passionate and protesting are probably not open to having a conversation but just being aware of those kinds of things and bringing them up in conversations with people you know and then maybe they'll talk about it with people they know and maybe, you know, we can st- we can start doing the right thing for the children, which is legalizing weed and having a cannabis industry. I look forward to a time when the use of cannabis is not used in child custody cases against women and mothers, and when the Department of Youth Services does not try to take away the children of women who use cannabis, and both those things still occur across the country. And I think that's worth fighting against. Um, So not everybody has a great relationship with cannabis. um, And um, the, you know, certainly, you know, in all of this, you know, talk about reducing the stigma and all this talk about, you know, I see, you know, uh, like, even brands recommending like daily consumption of, of things and stuff like that, that there are there, there every person's different. And I'm just curious how all of this fits with that reality too. how, how do we respond and how does the industry respond um, to uh, the fact that it's, it's not necessarily the best fit for, for everybody um, and how they use it. So when people feel like cannabis may not be for them, A-OK, and to still encourage the awareness of medicinal benefits and the ending of prohibition and all of the repercussions and ripple effect of that is so powerful. So, you know, I can choose not to drink vodka and someone else can choose not to consume cannabis, but to allow safe access for it is, I think, what people, even non-consumers, can hopefully get behind. I think there is a big underlying theme in cannabis, which is um, having the freedom and the civil right to choose your own medicine. Um, And for some folks, that that isn't cannabis. And I think that's important that especially new um, industry members as they join our industry and start working in the, in the business that they learn that as well because we all have these endocannabinoid systems much like a skeletal system or a nervous system we have our endocannabinoid system and we all produce our own cannabinoids called phytocannabinoids and some folks just you know have enough or they you know whatever the science is there that were the the neuroscience we might not need an infusion of external cannabinoids in our systems and everyone's different and that might be because you know there's variation in our cb1 and cb2 receptors in our body um, or we just have different placements of them Um, so it's it's going to be super interesting to learn why it's really beneficial for some people and not and i think it's really important to guide people whether you're a bud tender or someone who does education that um, experimentation is really important because we can all drink a glass of wine and generally feel the same thing, um, but uh, cannabis uh, leads to a very, can be a very different experience for a lot of us, too. Um, I think that, you know, cannabis is great for most people, whatever that means. Uh, It doesn't necessarily mean you're using THC. Uh, CBD has a lot of great properties, and it doesn't get you high and anxious the same way that THC does. Maybe it is using a topical that doesn't 
break the blood barrier. Maybe it's taking advantage of industrial hemp. Like there's all sorts of amazing things that can come out of this plant, even if you're not putting it into your body or using it in the way that people think. And I think it's important to evaluate uh, each person's experience and why they've had a negative experience. Um, For example, with dabbing, um, I've written a few like guides for beginners because it can be really intense. And I've talked to a lot of people that are like, oh, I'll never do that again because I got like sweaty and anxious. And they had just had one that was way too big. And it was, it's unfortunate. Like, and then I've been able to you know, help people have really good experiences when they've tried it again because you can just get the little flavor and it's so good. Um, so, yeah, I think if somebody or maybe somebody ate in a whole entire edible, we had some... Uh, writers do that (laughs) when weed first became legal and it's too much so maybe just try five milligrams and see how that goes Um, so I think yeah there's definitely a person to person situation but hopefully everyone can enjoy at least the hemp part Yeah, I just wanted to touch on the mother thing. There's an organization called Parents for Pot, and there are 15 chapters throughout the United States, and they work mainly uh, their parents who have children or their parents who have been incarcerated for marijuana. And our organization, I serve on the Alaska board, um, we try to help people who are suffering from you know, the prison system family members being involved in that and also the education and medical so parents for pot it's parents number four pot thank you for sharing thank you you so much um thank you tanya and then we have to respect Um, actually just to touch on troy's question um just to share i in my dream world marijuana and the excitement around the cannabis as a medicine that has been generated in the last decade would ideally lead a more mature way of looking at medicine in general, That especially in plant medicine, that every one of us is different and we have to understand how our body works and realize that there's not one answer for everybody. And that's true about the pharmaceutical, like conventional medicine industry as well, but that's not how it's presented and that's why people think, oh, it works, then it works. Anyway... Um, but my question is actually about um, what your perspectives are on how the growing cannabis industry and women in cannabis particularly um, can um, intersect with social justice and criminal justice and what's happened where there's a privileged class that are getting to use cannabis in a more conscious way. And obviously not all over the country, but there are millions I don't know. There's so many people of black and brown color who are in prison for cannabis at the same time. And I'd love to see this industry, our industry, be more proactive in fixing that problem. So the really cool thing about the cannabis industry is you have a really diverse group of people coming together. And you have your, your Wall Street bankers and your counterculture hippies. And um, there's a lot of opportunity to do good because a lot of the people that are applying for their license to get these um, grows and manufacturing things going, they have to talk about their community plans and how they're going to give back to the community where the center is going to be. And um, I'm thinking specifically about Oakland, California. They have this um, project called the Hood Incubator. And... Um, there's also an equity exchange program that works with people that have been incarcerated to get them um, linked up with companies who will work with them to help them create a company and just make up for the suffering that they've done. So that's like an, um, a far advanced um, example of something that you know the communities are doing to address that very problem. Yeah, I think maybe Oakland started this trend, but um, in applying for our license in Emeryville, um, a big part of the application is how is your um, company and and your your placement in our city gonna um, going to help the community? And they don't ask for anything specific. They are asking the the applica- the um, folks writing the application how 
they can help the city. So they're encouraging folks to research uh, what the city is lacking or what what, it, what um, opportunities there are to give back and then to create a plan for that. So I think um, there's a really exciting opportunity for uh, local government to get involved here and um, create um, a program for uh, license applications to encourage that. I think it's also being like mindful like I definitely helped organize a lot of events in New York City and we always made sure that we had a diverse group of speakers that included women, minorities, like all sorts of people that can really give perspective on every facet of the situation. So when there are events and opportunities to share people's stories, I think it's just very, very important to include those stories for sure. And, you know, education, like everything. But it really is just talking to people. That's what changes people's minds and helps progress move forward or the personal connections. So... Thank you, ladies, so much for being here. I want—I don't want to take up too much more time because of Annie has a, the naloxone training after this. But I really want to thank each and every one of you for being here and sharing your stories and sharing your work and how important it is to for us to take the opportunity to raise women's voices in something, especially in things that are considered not women's work. So um, thank you. I hope that you guys will join us in the future with the Women's Visionary Congress. We'll definitely be having, I think, some more women in cannabis events in the future. So thank you so much. You're listening to the Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. I think that all of us here in the salon would like to thank these women for helping to build the cannabis industry. And I also want to compliment them for being so courageous about speaking out and organizing events to help educate people about the benefits of this wonderful plant. Now, contrary to what some people may think, this most definitely is women's work. And I'm not talking about just trimming. Organizing and operating a cannabis business is as much women's work as it is men's work. As a daily toker, I salute you all for your hard work and for the risks that you've taken to push this issue along to where it is now today. Well done, you cannabis workers. You know, uh, this is, uh, (laughs) well, it's turning out to be kind of an unusual podcast for me. Usually I try to keep things upbeat, and if I hadn't brought things down a bit with my introduction, well, this would be a real Rainbows and Bunnies podcast. But there are things about life which we sometimes have to confront, even when they aren't all that pleasant. And one of those things, of course, is death. And so I'm going to close today with a little remembrance of one of our fellow saloners who has now moved on to another dimension. His name was Rob O., And to tell the truth, I've never met Rob, but I think that a few years ago he and I interacted on some forums uh, back during the time that the Dope Fiend was still doing his podcast. Anyway, a week or so ago, one of my Twitter followers and fellow saloner, Mark from Vat Records, posted a tweet that read, A great supporter of the show from the early days, Rob O., friend of McKenna, passed on last Saturday. Journey well, old friend. Well, I got in touch with Mark to learn more about Rob, and this is what he said. Unfortunately, Rob passed away last Saturday at the age of 65 from natural causes. He appears to have died peacefully in his home. Rob was a well-loved Welsh psychedelic legend. He was introduced to shamanism by Terence McKenna. And Rob then introduced many others, especially through your podcasts, which he would distribute to would-be psychonauts, along with other things. Rob cultivated sativia plants at home, using them and his knowledge of shamanism to defy the odds against 30-plus years of lung disorders. He was well-regarded and will be sorely missed by all who knew him. And, in my opinion, I think Rob will also be sorely missed even by those of us who didn't know him personally. 
I can still remember the first time that I read the famous meditation that John Donne wrote in 1624, almost 400 years ago. And part of it goes like this. No man is an island entire of itself. Each is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if a promontory were. As well as if a manor of thine own or of thine friends were. Each man's death diminishes me, for I am involved in humankind. Therefore send not to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And for now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends.